Welcome to CarePod, a safe place to educate, inspire, and renew the caregiver. Listen in with our host, Dr. Kipley Bell, as she interviews different experts along the caregiving journey. So I am here today with a like-minded individual, which is really cool. Her name is Deborah Hallisey of Advocate for Mom and Dad. So really, I'm thinking a mentor in this space to me as I navigate, not only as a clinician, uh, you all know my story in the CarePod audience as far as a professional personal caregiver, but someone who we're sitting with that has done this pretty much for decades. So nice to see what you're doing in your own space and uh, niche of this world and how we can speak about this journey together. So thank you so much for being here today. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm so happy we connected. The more we can educate caregivers, the better off we all are. Absolutely. So take me from the beginning of your journey. Sure. And your why. And my why. Yeah. Oh, I love that question. What's your why? So my father was diagnosed with congestive heart failure in 2014, and he was my mom's caregiver. She uh, was legally blind, diabetic, hypertension, mobility issues. And my entire career was spent as a consultant. And so I traveled. I would leave on a Monday and come back on a Thursday. So... In 2014, and this is going to sound kind of silly, but in 2014, I only had to get to Boston. And so I would maneuver my days a little bit if my dad had to go to the doctors in order to be there with him. Or we had a friend who was a nurse who I would ask her to go so she could she could tell me. So in October of 2014, my father wound up in the hospital. I did not think he was going to come out. And I moved back in with my parents. They lived an hour away for uh, the two weeks he was in the hospital. And then really for another month or two, because he needed to regain his strength. The bottom line is we lost him in 2015. And my consulting firm gave me about three months to get my mom settled in her home. She wanted to stay at home and we needed to find a live-in caregiver. And we had that happen. But at the end of that year in 2015, as a consultant, because I hadn't contributed the numbers I had to, I was let go. Wow. You know, and that is not a new story. You know, so many people have to leave. They're forced by circumstances. I was forced by being let go. I will say it was a blessing because in being let go, And my mom's the one that said this to me, you have learned so much, you should share it with people. And so I started Advocate for Mom and Dad. I started strictly as a blogger. I found people coming to me for consulting. So there's a consulting branch. I was asked to speak at a conference and realized that about five of my blogs that resonated with my readers was a book. So I published my first book, Your Caregiving Relationship Contact, in 2019. And then a a colleague who I had collaborated on with many articles around dementia said, you know, we you can rewrite this for dementia caregivers. This has value. And so she helped me do that. And well, this is going to be crazy. Yeah. Last December, I published the second book. And the reason why it stands out in my mind the Monday I was to announce it was the Monday I got a phone call. My mom had passed overnight. Wow. So 
you know, in their caregiving, there is great joy and great sorrow right next to one another. You telling me you're preaching it, sister. <laughs> right. And, wow. and there's such crazy emotions around that. And how do you deal mm-hmm. with it? And how do you think? You know, it's it's the the joy of a child's wedding and the worry your mom or dad won't make it. Right. It's the joy of a new grandchild, but they've just passed and they'll never meet their great grandchild. I mean, it's they're just right there with one another. And we have to deal with all of it in the midst of caregiving. Amazing. It just that paragraph alone is just I resonate on so many levels and I'm sure most of my care pod audience the same. So I need to back up a little bit. Let's kind of slow this back. I want to walk it back. The biggest challenge I find is the busy professional caregiver, the gap in bedside education, the myth that doctors, clinicians, bedside, whomever's leaders, you know, aren't walking through the same journey. So on one hand, you have those of us with these credentials that are not pretending you, if you will, but I think there is this element of our training that says you don't counter transfer, you don't share, you know, your personal angst, right? I I remember the day years ago, probably 20 years ago now, on my first training in emergency medicine, and nothing was going on with me personally at the time, but the attending said, listen, when those hospital doors open, you forget everything else that's happened in your day and you focus on the patient. And although that has value and education in that, I think it's also created a marked gap between those of us who've signed up to care for people and the people that feel that we don't care as clinicians. So there's that, but but then there's here you are, this professional consultant, this is your thing, you're traveling all over. And now caregiving has turned your life on a dime. So the clients that are coming to me, uh, or if someone had to say to me, who is your avatar? That is that is that person. Yeah. So what, what do you say, if you look back at that time in your life, uh, and even now when you consult with busy professional caregivers, what do you say in terms of, how not to rob yourself from, you know, your professional work that you worked hard to get to, but also not lose the time and the value of time with your aging loved one? Oh, my gosh. Oh, Dr. Bell, that is such a fantastic question. So, um, you know, for me, I did not have the luxury of, well, I, I was able to make the choice. I was able to make the choice to bring in a live-in for my mom so that I could continue to travel. I think the the interesting thing about that on a personal level, oh, there's so many thoughts going there through now. Okay, A, I will start with A. Busy professionals who are now caregivers need to be very sure that they are self-aware of what's going on in their professional life and their caregiving life, how they butt up against one another and how they can potentially help one another. So I was very aware that for me to 
quit my job and be my mother's live-in caregiver would probably destroy our relationship because my mom and I struggled, right? I was very close to my dad, my mom and I struggled. So, so I thought, okay, if I do this, I will be A, so angry and B, so resentful. I will blow this up. Now, because I knew who my mother was, I also structured our live-in very differently than the norm. And, and there's where my professional was. This is what we need to do, take it or leave it. And some agency says that's not where we work. And this is what I mean. Normally, an agency will put a live-in for four or five weeks, then they get a week off. And they bring in maybe they'll bring in another caregiver or the family could take care. I knew my mother needed a break. And so I structured it that every two weeks I was her caregiver for four days. That gave the caregiver break. That gave my mother a break. It allowed me to be right on top of what was going on. And then on top of that, any any holiday they had off because I knew she needed a break and they would. Um, I took her all the doctor visits. I did all the grocery shopping. We can get into more of that later. So I was very self-aware and did not allow guilt or the shoulds. You know, we should on ourselves so much as Elizabeth Miller said. Yeah, 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 yeah. The should to say, I should be the one to do that. I'm the daughter. And it was like, no, if I do this, it's it's not going to be pretty. But let me structure it this way. So that was the first thing. I was also very honest with my mom about continuing to work and why I needed to. Now, it was harder when I was in corporate because in corporate, you can't bring your caregiver into the workplace, right? They don't want to hear it. At least that was my experience, okay? No matter how good the company says they are about it, no, that was my experience. And I talked to lots of people feel the same way. Once I left corporate and started my own business, that gave me a lot of flexibility to work for my mom's house or my house, but I I never felt like I was giving enough to the business. Mm. And there was real, it was really a lot of guilt and a lot of hard, you know, like, oh my God, I'm 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 not going to make all the money I need to, you know, I'm going to have to put more money into the business because I can't give it the time. That that lasted the whole eight years, right? Like I never, and as my mom, you know, got older, got sicker, whatever you want to say, that was really hard to give what I felt I should give to the business. And so one of the things about turning 65 and even losing my mother was like, no, I will give it what I can. And if the rest falls by the wayside, I'm okay with that. And that started even before I lost my mom, like coming to the realization that what you wanted in your 40s is different than what you want in your 50s and 60s. And when you've had a career already that was very successful, you I found a way to let that go. Now, it's hard for younger people because they're still building their career and they've got family and they've got kids. And so helping them to see that As Denise Brown says, you have a right to life during caregiving. Mm. And if part of the life you need is to continue to work, then let's talk about what we can put in place that allows you to do that with minimum disruption for you and your loved one and, and in a way that makes sense financially for you. And I will just say one other thing, and I know you know this, one of the hardest things I ever did was take off the hat of daughter and put on the hat of an actuary. What money does she have? How do I protect it? What can I do? Because 
I mean, her dad lived into his 90s, you know, I, and she was in her early 80s when I took over. I fully expected she would live another 10, 15 years. And so early on, I talked to an elder court lawyer and put a bunch of stuff in place anticipating Medicaid, mm. right? And part of that luxury was I'm in the industry. So yeah, I yeah, do, yeah. Right. So I also try and help people to understand the importance of pre-planning. And I know it hurts to write that $10,000 check to an elder law attorney, but for me, it preserved her money for, for long, actually longer than she needed it because she passed. Wow. So it's so much in all of what you said. First, I want to capture when you said about younger people and their professions. What do you define you know, where do you define, where's that timeline? (laughs) Well, it goes from young adults to my age, right? Like how many young adults are caring for their parents, right? I mean, they just are, they're, they're in, they're just got out of college or just starting their career and all of a sudden they're caregivers, Right. And then there's our typical sandwich generation. You know, you have a family and now you have to. And, and you know, we need to be really clear that caregiving is not helping them dress. Caregiving is grocery shopping. It is going to the doctors with them. It is helping them to keep the house clean. Right. Like that is where it starts. And so I depending upon where you are in your life and what their circumstances are, professionals, you know, as a young person just out of college, how do you even find a job and stay in that job that meets both needs? For the sandwich generation, you know, how do you find the help so you can continue to work and get that paycheck and then, you know, have the kids? I, I think the one that the ones that break my heart are the professionals who are I mean, if you're at Walmart, it's still a job and you're a professional, right? You still have yeah. you still have to be loving to the crazy people who are, you know, <laughs> yell at you because whatever, right? Like yeah. if you're working, to me, I consider that your professional. I don't care what it is. And I think my the biggest thing and where I try and help people is the caregivers that come in are professionals. And you need to treat them at stuff and understand, understand what that job is like. And so I found for myself, you know, helping my mother to understand that this person in her home was not there 24-7 to wait on her. They must get eight hours of sleep. They had the right to say, no, not now. You know, I think the problem with a lot of folks of my mom's generation is my house, my rules, right? Yeah, no, this is a professional coming into your house to help you. And you need to understand that by law, they need eight hours. They need time off. If time off is going out for a walk, you don't get to say no. They need that time away. And on the other hand, I was very clear to the professional about this would have been my parents' 65th anniversary and she's going to get squirrely. So just be patient with her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Milestones. Yes. It's, it's Yes. If you are working and you're and you care, it is a profession and where do you need the help? Yes. And specifically to in the caring professions, you know, I'm looking to my colleagues 
left and right. And it's, it's the walking wounded. It really, really is. Yes. You know, I have one colleague, 50. She just had a major stroke, heartbreak. She is aphasic. She cannot speak. She is literally her, her sister is pending a conversation with me to discuss next steps because I don't even know what was in place. You know, she started her own skincare line as a dermatology PA. It's heartbreaking. I have another colleague whose mother went in for a perforated ulcer and they found lung cancer. (laughs) Yeah. So, and so, and then imagine all of the caregiver tasks, all of the burden, all of the worry, all of the things having to still put your game face on and be fully present for the patients that you're serving. So it's really um, another point you mentioned about corporate now that this paradigm is changing. So now all of a sudden we are, we're seeing the caregiver, we're seeing the importance of, you know, caring and having compassion and all of the things we're, we're seeing the societal shift in recognizing that we're all aging together and what that looks like. And uh, do you foresee in your own opinion, policy changes uh, legislation around, you know, mandating companies to allow caregiver grace the way they do uh, a new mom for like yeah. maternity leave or paternity leave now caregiver grace, like more remote work, more uh, caregiver uh, hours off options for doctor's visits, etc. Oh, God, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Um, it's such, I mean, we're, we are absolutely at an inflection point. And personally, I think this administration sees it, mm-hmm. you know, and is trying to make inroads, however small they might be. That's mm-hmm. the good news. The bad news is when the government gets involved, it gets so complicated. I mean, You're right. Famous, right. It gets so complicated. Um but they're recognizing the need. I will be completely honest and completely politically incorrect and say, Mm -hmm. until the makeup of our legislative houses changes and it's more women or it's men who are caregivers, we're going to have an uphill battle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny you say this because I've noticed this interest. I have men coming up like, you know, I saw that flyer. I saw that event. I just thought it was for the ladies. Can you put something for the men? Is there a men? Is there a male doctor that can speak to male issues? Is there, you know, and, and there are, there are sons. So, and then particularly now at, I'm a mother of sons who, you know, I, I really want to be particularly vigilant that they don't walk the, the same caregiver path, you know? almost, almost to the extreme where they understand that I have the fierce love, come see me, (laughs) come love with me once in a while. But can I look at this, what, next decade to two of my life? I just turned 49. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, so with a colleague now that's had, you know, that's 50, it just had the stroke, right? And being a clinician and seeing that 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 50 to 70 year old 
time frame is when life can suddenly shift based on a disease, a diagnosis, an emergency, right? So what are the life choices that I can make to be mindful of that so that my sons don't carry that weight? Yeah. And then we didn't even go there as far as extended families, right? The wives, the spouses, the this, the that. Yeah. I, I, one of the things I am, you know, I think about, I think about my father's generation, who was my mom's caregiver and he did not ask for help and he should have, right. Particularly once he started to get sicker and sicker with CHF. But I also see other colleagues like Matt Perrin, who cared for his mom at the same point, his, his wife was caring for his father with uh, Parkinson's and dementia. And, and so there are there's a generation where spouses asking for help is is not as prevalent, although more and more are coming into, particularly for if you're caring for someone with a dementia, with dementia, right? Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. finding those support groups and that's really good. But it's the generation behind them that I'm seeing saying, oh, wow, I'm, I'm now a caregiver and this, I need to change things and impact things. So I absolutely have hope for, it's kind of a groundswell of change, but but I'm not at all sure it's going to happen as quickly as we need it to when you look at the numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like by 2040, we're going to have more old people than a pediatric population. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Let's go shopping. Check out impactfulcaregiving.store. There, you will find everything from assisted devices to comfort care items and even tech to support your aging loved one and relieve a little caregiver stress along the way. Yeah, yeah. And there's just, we are not ready with an infrastructure to support that. Mm -hmm. And I look at, you know, again, I'm just going to be completely honest. I think one of the things that has really hurt us is an is an immigration policy, because if you look at the caregiver world, these are people who are coming in from other countries who are serving as our caregivers in such a beautiful way. So often culturally, they feel respect and honor, honor, and they treat them like their mother or their grandmother. But we lost so many of them, A, through immigration policies, and then B, through COVID. And now on top of that, they, it's not a pretty job to be a caregiver. And you, when you can make more money at Walmart than at caregiving, something's wrong with this picture. Yeah. And you know, that's so profound you say that because I, I have a private Facebook group called International Caregiver Exchange. And I'm particularly, my heart is there. Um, my mother's from Antigua, but I, when I travel internationally, I'm just so amazed. It's, it's an honor. It is a complete different, completely different mindset and a, a way of dealing with our elders than mm-hmm. we have here in the States. And it's, uh, and like you said, there's pride in caregiving uh, versus what we, we what we witness even amongst our own families even to get yeah. a younger millennial to take care of their grandma yeah. uh would be a chore so it's yeah that's that's really really profound very profound uh so one thing 
that I, I haven't asked any other guests, but it, it comes to mind quite frequently. I've had so many guests who their why stemmed out of obviously a parent or some sort that had the illness that, that then, you know, charted their path accordingly. Do you get, do, do you, do you, or have you had a moment of fear or where you made decided that, Hey, I need to make some different lifestyle choices, or I want to model this differently for my own family as a result of specifically your caregiver health experience? Well, I think the biggest, you know, the biggest thing, and it was hard, it was very hard was, um, you know, my mom, like most people said, I'm, I'm leaving this house in a box. Like you're never taking me out of this house. Right. I want to die here. But one of the things that happened when I became her caregiver, and this was such a gift, I, I'll go back for just a second, that my dad, that a very traditional marriage, and my dad protected my mother from knowing how sick he was. And I kept that secret for him and did not realize the toll it took on me until he was gone. Mm. Secrets are the worst thing you can do in a family. They really are. And so after he passed, I had a very... And it was an ongoing conversation with my mother that there's no more secrets because she was she was blindsided when he died. Right. Like I all I could say to her was we're on borrow time. Well, what does that mean? I can't tell you we're on borrow time. Right. So when he died, she was blindsided. And so from the very beginning, I said to her, um, you know, there are no more secrets. If there's something in this 65 year old house that needs fixing, I'm not just going to do it. We're going to make the decision as a team. If my health is impacted, whatever. And so my mother and I actually became a team and we were much closer these last eight years than we ever were before. And that was an incredible gift. It really was. But as part of those ongoing conversations, I said to her, Mommy, you have got to stay strong and keep using your rollator, your walker. I used to call it her go-kart because <laughs> we can't retrofit your house for a wheelchair. Then the pandemic hit and my mother was in the hospital twice, not with COVID, thank God. And we can talk about doctors that don't listen to you about medication adjustments at another yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. And she wound up with such a severe eye infection, she lost the rest of her eyesight. So wow. the pandemic did me in mm -hmm. and I started, I mean, I put myself on an antidepressant. I went, I can't, I can't do this without help. And so at, at one point, you know, I said to her, mommy, I, I can't do this anymore. We need to figure out some other way to do this. And God love her. She said to me, your health is not worth it. Let's look at an assisted living. And so I moved her 10 minutes from me instead of an hour from me. Um, and so that was huge, but I, but, but since losing her, I have come to realize that I put on weight during the pandemic. I've yet mm -hmm. to take it off. Right. You know? Um, and so I've realized that I need to make other choices and other decisions. And interestingly enough, I, my, my primary was up by my mom's house. I just started with a gerontologist as part of that entire, I need to do things differently because, you know, the primary is not keyed into what's going on at 65, 70, 75, 80. They're local, right? I have come to realize that my hearing is not as great and I know what that means to dementia. So I know I need to have a hearing test. And if I need 
hearing aids. I'm going to do it. I'm not, my mother refused to have hearing aids. Right. You know, so there's a lot of things that I saw with my mom. My dad was good about keeping up with his health care. Um, there's a, but he wasn't good about asking for help, which is why the CHF got so severe so quickly. So, yeah, I think, I think when you go through this, you kind of know what the family history is, know what they went to. No, I don't have kids that I say, I don't want to put this on them. Mm-hmm. I also don't want to, in four or five years, be so ill. I can't do what I'm doing and travel, you know? So absolutely. You see what and, they and you see what you need to do and you make new choices. You do. Yes, yes. And you know what travel looks like, even travel and hospitality. What travel and hospitality looks like for the older client or multi-generational travel. I mean, I often tell the story about I took my mom to Hershey Park and the kids. We all went, you know, myself, my husband, the kids. Hershey had s'mores making. Oh, great. What fun. My mom says, oh, I want to go and our hearts drop because the s'mores making was literally across campus. So I said to my husband, you go, I'll drive around. Mm -hmm. By the time I drove around and we walked up with the walker, the event was over. So even having a geriatric consultant for these speaking about corporate, but for these brands that have, you know, activities for families to be able to still include your aging loved one for some of these multi-generational, intergenerational activities. We talk about, you know, millennials or younger toddlers working with the age. Well, how do you do it? How do you structure these activities if they can't even get to them in a reasonable amount of time? I mean, you know, one of the biggest frustrations I know my mom had with a lot of things is how muffled the TV sounded, right? So she gave up going to movies early on. So it's like, even when you go to these events, like, A lot of lights, a lot of flashing is going to disorient them. You know, if they can't hear, like if they had, you know, earphones or earplugs or Wi-Fi for hearing aids and all that. um, Oh, that's great. Wi-Fi for hearing aids. Yeah, like that's, right? So many people have the, um, the, the smartphones now and a lot of the hearing aids you can adjust on there. And so it's, you know, Wi-Fi for that. And you know, yes. so I just heard um, a colleague is doing a, a, a conversation with people about the emergency room. And wouldn't it be helpful if the emergency room did this? Because let's face it, for most people, that's where their caregiving journey starts. And and this gentleman's comment was, oh, yeah, I was in the room and the nurses were so diligent about writing who they are and when they'd be in, which was great. And then I realized it was too far away. He couldn't read it. (laughs) Hello. Yes. Oh, yeah. How often does that happen? Yes. And even in full transparency, even in full transparency, knowing this in my own training early in my career, you know, patients hard of hearing, you're screaming, <laughs> you're screaming to the patient, you know, not knowing what what's what. So yes, so so many, so many ways in which we can contribute to the change in in what we need in these environments. So tell me, uh, what does life look 
for like for you now? What do you most enjoy with your business and how you advocate for mom and dad still today? And and actually before I go there, I often wonder. I am I am passionate. I can do this in my sleep. This comes out of my pores, right? But the day when my mom doesn't have breath, how will it will this be? You know, is is a true gut-wrenching, honest question I have of myself. And I really now looking at you wonder how did you know, did you have that moment when, you know, how did you say I'm going to keep this going because it's important? Wow, what a beautiful question. And I will share a story with you. Um, the The thing about my work is my mother was always so generous about letting us, let me talk about this journey together. So if you were to read the blog, there were certainly interviews with people who have expertise in different areas, but mon- most of it is lessons learned. You know, like the time I sat across my mother and said, um, uh, didn't you hear me? I said that already and watched her face drop. And I thought, okay, I can't use that language anymore. Right. Um, the time I watched a caregiver, um, take groceries out so quickly, my mother was getting all discombobulated. And I said, look, go in the other room and sit down, let her take them out at her pace. Cause she can't see. So she's feeling to see what it is. And you constantly try to put something in her face to say, where's this, where's this is doing nothing but frustrating her. So go away. It doesn't need to happen this minute. Let her do what she needs to do. So it's a lot of those lessons learned. And a lot of it is truly about not only lessons with my mom, but 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 as um, uh, somebody who had a caregiver in the home, you know, like how do you help them manage with one another? So when my mom died, I was a little bit about, I mean, I was I was devastated and I was so sad about what am I going to write about? Oh my God. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I had, I had put on Facebook that she had passed and I debated about LinkedIn because it just didn't feel like the right place, but I also use LinkedIn for business. So I put it on LinkedIn and two hours after I went out, I get a phone call from Florida and I don't answer the phone. And this woman says to me, you don't know me but I have followed your journey for years. And I saw that your mom had passed and it seemed too personal to put on LinkedIn. I just want to tell you how sorry I am. Well, I'm like, there is still, there is still her legacy to be told. There it is. There it is. is. She's still so much a part of this. I still write about her. What the interesting thing is I've done writing. What really resonates is after caregiving ends. You know, like that fight, mm. fight or fright doesn't go right, doesn't go away right away. You still like mm. right thinking, did I get everything done? Right. Mm. And, you know, the the question, and I haven't to some extent have to answer this yet because I still have my work. But the question every caregiver goes through is, who am I now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who am I if I'm not a caregiver? Because that was mm-hmm. my so much of my identity. And it mm-hmm. can take up to two years to figure that out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So how do you reclaim your life? How do you reclaim the parts that still fit? And how do you build into what's new? Because it is. Mm. And, you know, you've given me something to ponder because, you know, my mother's a retired nurse. Uh, She uh, completed her nursing career, retired nurse midwife, and pretty much as a single mom crafted the trajectory of my career. So, you know, 
really it's not who is Kipley Bell. It's, you know, who am I uh, not being, but, but even, even as I'm saying it, that I will always be Gloria Bell's daughter, you know? So I think that that look, as I, as I tear up, right. Mm -hmm. But I think that that's an important uh, narrative as we sit with clients who still want to find their way to honor their person and what that looks like now. So that that's just so, so amazing. So amazing. I just quickly want to circle back to something you said early about making the decision to have a live-in mm-hmm. for people who say, I'm not, you know, when mom's like, nope, I don't want anybody living in my house or whatever. How, how do you, what's your strategy to get people open to that concept? Um, a patience, right? You know, I mm-hmm. talk about the drip method. It is not a one and done conversation. Mm-hmm. So uh, patience and honesty, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I think so often we want to protect someone instead of being honest with them. And you can still be honest in a loving way. So mm-hmm. being honest with my mother was, you know, my dad was her live in caregiver and being able to say to her, mommy, I can't, I can't quit my job, but mm-hmm. you know, you can't live on your own. So, you know, we need to look at this mm-hmm. um, for people who are really resistant. Don't go for the whole enchilada. You can say, I, I can't keep up with your house and mine. We, I'd like to get a caregiver in for three or four hours, a couple of days a week to do the laundry, to do this, do that. So you kind of ease them into it instead of Make going the for the introduction. Right. You, instead of going for, mm-hmm. you need to have somebody here, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it's a constant mm-hmm. conversation. You know, and that's one of the things in both books that I'm really clear about. In some ways, it's setting a boundary. And, you know, when you set a boundary, you're never going to start with you need, you should, you must, because the conversation is gone. The conversation is, I am worried when I'm not here and you get on a ladder. I know that in the kitchen, you have a certain way of doing things. How can we arrange things so you don't need to get on a ladder? And that's the key. It's never, can we rearrange things? You never end that introduction with a yes or a no Mm. it's an open-ended question or it's two choices because then you can negotiate right like with children (laughs) like with children yeah you know or even with a spouse right like if you say you never and then you know you've got to do this they just shut down it's it's really you know it's all it's all about effective communications and that's just family as a part of that so yeah. A, don't expect it to happen right away. B, introduce it in small increments. If somebody, you know, um, and then it, it takes more than one conversation. And this is the hardest part. If your mother or father or whomever has full capacity, they have the right to make the wrong decision. And that's terrible. Yeah. And you know what? As a as a clinician, listen, yeah. I've had patients say, no, I'm not getting dialysis. No, I don't want insulin management. You know, there is something to be said about the autonomy and, you you know, healthy decision-making capacity. Absolutely. And that's hard for families. It's hard in caregiver roles, et cetera. cetera. Let me tell you, the first thing you feel is resentment and anger, and you should, because you know full well the first emergency, it's on you. 
Yep. So there's yep. this plug and pull around, oh my God, they have the right to make their own decision. So, so here's how I manage that with the people I talked to. I said, okay, all right, they have the right to make the wrong decision, but you have the right as an adult to an adult to set a boundary and say, mommy, daddy, okay, you're unwilling to do that. But, but let, let me just tell you that I can't take off from work to see you through this. So our choices will be if something happens, you need to go to a rehab or come home with somebody. Let's talk about those two scenarios, right? So yeah. you are setting the boundary. I'm not going to, I cannot do this for whatever reason, but also leaving the autonomy in their hands of how would you handle this? How do you want to handle this? Let's look at the pros and cons and what would be best. You know, and sometimes it's the easiest thing is, you know, for my mom, one of the things I did was rearrange the kitchen, right? Let's put everything you use all the time on the bottom floor, on the bottom. And because of mobility issues, we wound up getting a chair built with five rollers that she could roll around the kitchen in. She could (laughs) roll to the stove. She could roll to the sink, right? Like there are too often it's an all or nothing do not do this. Where it's like, well, there's a solution. Let's look at the solution. What meets their needs and your needs? Absolutely. Absolutely. When you're in it, it's really hard to see that. Yes, it is. It is. So tell us, how does someone find you? Tell us about your website, your book offerings, your private consultations, et cetera. Et cetera. Perfect. So my my website is um, www.advocateformomanddad.com and, and everything is spelled out, right? So it's the D after and D, the A and D, D A D. So it's, it's a long one. It's Advocate for Mom and Dad. It is a completely free website with lots of resources, finances, legal, caregiving stories, family dynamics, um, you know, lots of different resources. Just go out and take a look at it. If they would like a free half hour consultation, the banner up on top brings you right to my camp Calendly and just put it in and I will find you. I will get back to you. Um, the two books that I have are available on Amazon. The first is your caregiver relationship contract, and it's really for non-dementia caregivers. And the second is a relationship contract for dementia caregivers. One of the things about, and it's available, the first book is available in Spanish and English. Love it. I'm working on the second book, Spanish and English. The first book is also audio, and I'm working on the second book being audio as well. And I have a third book in me, and I'll tell you that uh, in a second. Um, And then, uh, and so you could look for it by my last name. It's uh, Halisey, H-A-L-L-I-S-E-Y. There's also links on the website to both books. The thing about the books is every chapter ends in a worksheet or questions to help you think about what you just read. So you can just kind of take it all in, or you can actually do it a little slower or go to a chapter like, you know, I'll tell you a quick story if you don't mind, but I was recently doing work with a, um, a an adult day and we were talking about asking for and saying yes to help. One of the things I talk about in the book several times is how much we do not recognize how birth order and gender affect everything in our life, including caregiving. Mm. And this one woman was saying, I, I just don't ask for help. It's not in me. And I looked at her and I said, what's your birth order? She said, the oldest of 10. I said, well, there you have it. 
Of course, you don't ask for help. Everybody went to you for help. You don't have that skill. You need to work on that skill, right? She was like, oh, oh, you know, so it's just so funny. You don't even realize it. Um, So yeah, you can, you can do that. And uh, if you do the audio book, the worksheets are out on the website and it tells you how to get to them. Um, let's see, website, books, consulting, and my third book, which is I want to write next year, is our journey from going from taking my mom from being in her home for seven years to an assisted living. Mm. How did that happen? Much needed, much needed. How did we do it? You know, and it's the kind of things we're helping people to understand. I'll give you one quick story. Um, my mom was not an early to bed person and early to rise. And so she, we, when we first went in, they said, she said, well, you know, I'd like to start um, maybe getting ready for bed at 11 o'clock. And of course they say, oh yes, of course. Yes, 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 yes. And so we tried to do that and nobody was coming. She was so frustrated and so angry. And then I said, well, try 10.30 and once in a while. And all of a sudden it was like, ding, 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 ding. The shift change was 10.30 to 11. Of course nobody is gonna come. So I was able to say to her mom, why don't you get undressed and ready for bed at 10, stay in your chair, and then after 11, 11.30, call them back in to help you to bed. Problem solved. But if you're not in the industry, you don't think that way. Right. You know, and it's the kind of thing where when mom was at, and I, you do not expect this, like this was such an aha moment. When my mom was at home, I had managed one person, her living caregiver. When she went to the assisted living, I had six. The, yeah. the nurse, the food, um, the caregivers, the laundry, laundry, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's not one and done where you dump and go, right? In the beginning, there's a lot of talking to people and trying to get them to understand as much as possible your person, because that's the only way it's going to be successful. Absolutely. Well, I could speak to you for hours on end. Really, really enjoyed this conversation. And I'm so thankful that you gave your time to our CarePod pod audience today. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for asking me. It has been a delight and we are going to keep in contact. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great information right from the source. For more information on how to caregive like a boss, check out impactfulcaregiving.com. Want to be a guest on the show? Contact us at carepod at impactfulcaregiving.com.